Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we talk about a busy week in US politics, the latest on the Wuhan viral outbreak and the state of the world economy, with Toby Cross, Head of Client Investment Solutions, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Word on the Street. I'm joined as ever by our intrepid Chief Investment Officer, William Hobbs. And absent any conversation about Brexit, because it's banned this week, Will, sadly we don't have a Sophie Traherne with us, so it's just you and I. Now, this week we're going to be talking about the latest developments in the US political situation, the chances of another four years for the current administration, as well as the latest from Wuhan and the world economy. So, Will, it's been another busy, busy week in US politics. The Democrats are on the move searching for their new challenger. Meanwhile, we had the State of the Union speech uh, from the President, shortly followed by his acquittal by the Senate uh, in the impeachment proceedings. And I I guess the bit I want to zero in on was more about the president's claims about the economy. And he has done this before, but he's talking about having engineered a great American comeback. And I know that the US economy has been doing pretty well uh, over the entire term, to be fair. But how much can the administration actually lay claim to, Will? Yeah, Toby. um, Hello. And uh, and, uh, yeah, as you know, it's a very complicated question, of course. and, and first things first, I think, I don't think you'll find too many State of the Unions in the past where the president um, doesn't lay claim to trying to boost or boosting the uh, boosting the economy. Um, this president is really not alone or unusual on, on, on that front. But nonetheless, if you look at the US economy objectively, there is a lot of good news, like you say. So unemployment is as low as it's been uh, since the 1960s. Wages are finally picking up across all income categories. Um, labor, far t- labor force uh, participation is up. Inflation is low, as are household debt servicing costs. You know, business investment is picking up. You know, I could go on. The problem really, I guess, with all of this kind of stuff is it's really impossible to apportion um, credit or indeed blame in the way kind of in the way very confident way that we may um, we may want to um for a start some of the good health is is certainly inherited um well, i'm just sorry to interrupt I'm, I'm i'm mindful of the expression that success has many fathers and failure is an all <laughs> well, that is true <laughs> we've heard that before yeah no that is true and, and and that's right you know so you know it's very difficult and and i think you know the point that you get to though is that um, you know, if you look back to 2016, it's interesting. So right in the middle of 2016, the U.S. and world economy, and this is obviously before Trump, um, you know, uh, before Trump uh, gets his um, his uh, feet under the resolute desk um, in the Oval Office, the the world economy enjoys and the U.S. and world economy enjoy a strong pickup in kind of investment and, um, you know, overall economic pep. Um, and that's midway through 2016, at almost exactly the same time as the Brexit vote, as it goes. But there are a load of other factors also to throw into it from, you know, an indep- the influence of an independent central bank and all this kind of stuff. Long short, um, he can't probably lay too much claim to it, um, but that hasn't stopped many of his predecessors trying. Um, presidents, in my opinion, or in our opinion, simply don't have the economy on a piece of string. Uh, they are just one of the factors influencing confidence growth and inflation you know, really at the margin, both positively and negatively. Um, they just happen to be one of the most newsworthy, I guess. Just, just as an aside, you mentioned there the resolute desk. Uh, it's not an expression I'm familiar with. Uh, uh, can, you, can you explain that? 
Or is there some painful 18th century explanation? You really know? are asking for it. Yeah, no, it is. I, 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 wonder, I wonder whether I was opening a, a, <laughs> a Pandora's, Pandora's box, box of boring historical <laughs> trivia. Go on, let's get it out of the way. Well, so the president gets to choose their desk. Um, and I think there's a few. So there's the Theodore Roosevelt desk. There's the Resolute desk, the Hoover desk. Um, and the Johnson desk. So the Resolute desk was made out of um, some of the wood from the HMS uh, Resolute, which was an Arctic exploration vessel, even a whaler in the 19th century. And, and the Queen Victoria gave it to President uh, Rutherford B. Haynes, the 19th president. And each president gets to choose it. And actually, I think since uh, George Bosch's father, I think they've had the Resolute desk in the office but you do get a choice apparently I think you never cease to amaze me William you never <laughs> cease to amaze me what, what a vessel of arcane <laughs> trivia you continually <laughs> prove to be yeah. anyway let's get back to the bit I'm interested in the strong economy yeah. so whomever and whatever is responsible provided it keeps going it should be pretty helpful to the president's re-election campaign shouldn't it I mean absolutely it's, it's a great campaign trail message isn't it um it's certainly pro I mean, proven it came quite to power on making America great again, and there is nothing you can point out in the U.S. Uh, equity markets to suggest that he hasn't done just that. Whether you believe in the correlation and causality mm -hmm. argument is is irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, the um, I would agree. You know, so certainly, sort of a lot of the signs, and like I say, the economy's been doing very well, and the stock market has risen, and corporate profits have risen. The problem you always have, just sort of empirically, is who to chalk it up to, um, because of that problem of inherited momentum, uh, and also the fact that um, you know there's just other factors at play. But the president is the most newsworthy of those factors in many senses. So of course, you know, politicians generally are always going to try and claim, uh, lay claim to upticks and you know downturns, like you say, yeah, have, it's, have it's, fewer fathers. It's, it's not <laughs> like it's not like that we haven't we haven't had a, a sort of similar claims in the UK in the past. But it, this does indeed play to President Trump's strengths. What about the challenger then? What does the Iowa caucus tell us about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very early, um, very very early days uh, to be honest. But you know, from one um, perspective, it's encouraging to see. You know, an openly gay man, um, Pete uh, Buttigieg, um, as one of the leaders. Um, now, his appeal is currently uh, concentrated, you know, in college-educated whites. But you know, maybe this is the start of some momentum there. Um, the the one sort of surprise from Iowa was probably how poorly the kind of national front runner, or has been national front runner, um, and ex vice president Joe Biden um, fared. But like I said, it's very very early days. We'll just continue to watch this with interest, I guess. <clears throat> All right then. And uh, how about investment positioning? Given given what you've said, is there anything we should be doing to insulate or take advantage of the current? situation no I mean I really don't think so and, and, and as we've said before we really need to be very wary of the caricature of the kind of US and global economy as some sort of marionette with the president pulling the strings um, yes the president is a powerful role um, but even uh, even that he's he or hopefully one day she can only really influence things at the margin um, for the most part, like I say. Um, besides which, anyone who claims an edge in predicting elections, US or otherwise, uh, should be written off as a pub bore. Um, for those looking to follow us, follow the process, uh, you know, more um, more closely, I would recommend you know one of the podcasts I you know quite like, one of the websites I quite like is Five Thirty Eight. Um, they cover kind of the evolving odds and stories uh, convincingly, and I think quite amusingly so that's that's one if you do want to follow it closely uh, and that does show you i think of just how quick how quickly these how these things evolve and change and so on i always uh, you you remember we had these conversations during the 
UK elections. In fact, all of the recent UK elections, we seem to have one one every few months. But just having a look on odds, not anymore. Check, having a look on <laughs> odds checker, I found was a very it was just an absolutely fascinating way of quantifying public opinion. Uh, uh, fascinating to just Google that. So obviously, the other big news continues to be the Wuhan viral outbreak. Now, even though it's not classified as a pandemic under the strictest definitions it's still a very significant tragedy what have you got to say about that Will? yeah i mean i think the first point to, to make um is that you know it, we want to be very wary of some of the sort of scare um stories that are out there i believe we are some way short of the definition pandemic um you know so that means that you have to move into other countries uh, and it's not just other countries but onwards trans transmission um to a significant degree i think is the exact um definition but yeah nonetheless though how the how is the situation evolving? Because I see that the, the mortality count is still rising pretty steadily. Yeah, I mean, that is sadly, um, sadly, certainly true. But uh, remember, from a market's perspective, um, the assessment is necessarily a bit colder. Um, the market are really focused on something called the R naught, uh, and this is basically the reproductive rate. Um, it describes the sort of contagiousness or transmissibility of the um, infectious agents. Um, and and the interesting thing, so this was kind of made famous the other day by a U.S. Um, epidemiologist. Um, who I won't name, um, but he described it kind of rather shockingly. I think he described the Wuhan outbreak as a kind of thermonuclear pandemic uh, and was saying that the R naught was 3.8. Now, to put that into context, um, you know, polio pre-vaccine was vaccine was four to six. Seasonal flu, about one less than um, smallpox, kind of three. Um, so that would really put it into quite a serious category. And now it does have a sort of lower fatality rate, but the current pace, um, looking at all the data available that we have at the moment, looks to be a bit above one. Um, now that would suggest that containment measures have been partially successful, um, but incremental measures are still required. And if you think about it logically, you have to get the R naught below one, because um, that would mean then that the disease is starting to be- Diminished rather it, than Yes, exactly, increasing. exactly, exactly. Understood. So <clears throat> is that expectation then, the, are the expectations based on what you're describing there, this positive sort of direction that, that 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 it may be taking, is that what's been fueling these significant market moves that I'm seeing on my screen this week? Shares seem to be flying, bond markets and other perceived safe havens seem to be losing friends again. We've seen a bit of a reversal of of the downward trend from the last week in January. Yeah, certainly that sort of R naught moving down. Um, seems to be part of it. You know, the containment measures seem to be certainly, you know, becoming, bearing some fruit. Um, and that is certainly, and, and that would suggest that, or oh, many people are now arguing that we're not too far away from the peak. Um, but alongside that, the economic data has been pretty solid, actually. We've been talking about the sort of more trade and manufactured oriented, or manufacturing oriented parts of the world economy kind of groggily finding their feet. Um, and that looks to be, you know, playing out to some degree. Okay, but surely we can't have too much faith in that sort of data encouraging as it is we still haven't seen any real impact of wuhan on on the economy yeah i mean i, I think that's right um we haven't seen it in the data yet um and it's certainly going to take a big um bite out of um china's q1 output growth there's no first quarter output growth uh, and that should you know arithmetically hurt the world um world output as well to be honest but the interesting bit um will be whether this simply kind of delays 
the recovery and manufacturing and trade um, oriented bits that we've been talking about um, or whether it cancels it. Um, now we're very much um, in the view, we, 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 we still believe very much the former, that it's delayed and not cancelled, um, and we are investing accordingly. So we're still leaning a little bit towards emerging market equities. We're still underweight those, uh, some of those kind of perceived safe havens. So we feel that, um, yeah, that uh, likely interest rates are going to go higher and stocks still have a little bit to go, particularly okay. in emerging markets. Okay. And finally then, Will, at the end of our first full week outside the cordon of the European Union. What about the UK in all of this? It seems like the outlook might be brightening a bit. Why is the UK stock market lagging competitors in this latest pickup in risk appetite? Well, yeah, I mean, the, so the outlook for the UK economy is brightening a little bit. You know, some of the survey indicators are looking a little bit better. And, you know, it feels like there's uh, some of that sort of, you know, talked about some of that. Um, there's a bit more political certainty, isn't there? I mean, the, this government looks like it's going to be in place for some time now. And that wasn't a position we were in uh, previous to the election. Um, the other thing to remember with stock markets and the UK economy, the UK economy almost has nothing to do with the UK stock market. We made this point myriad, uh, million, millions and times. Um, the I think the reason, one of the reasons that explains um, the FTSE kind of struggling a little bit this year relative to the competition probably has something to do with oil, which again, it, it seems to be quite um, Wuhan um, focused. Um, that has affected the viral outbreak has affected um you know expectations and in incoming um demand uh, for oil that's seen oil prices go much lower quite fast um and the FTSE tends to index quite heavily in energy companies relative to others so we've got a lot you know it, there's we do, we have more energy companies in our quoted sector than um than many other indices uh, and that obviously you know got very little to do with the UK economy. Well, Will, thank you as ever to you and of course the rest of your excellent team who uh, provide a lot of support. Thank you for your insights this week. Fascinating as ever. And do make sure that you join us again next week for another edition of Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.